Let's ride. All right, man, back in this thing. One time for your mind, two time for the grind. No playing this ride, number 47. As a matter of fact, AK-47. That's right, AK number 47. I just did that for the gun nuts that happened to be in attendance, man. I'm not really on that um on that trash there. But let's go ahead and get into the business. First and foremost, a while back I did a thing where I kind of focused on one word during the whole podcast. I don't know if it went over well or not. Nobody hit me back on it except for one of the homies. And he said, hey, man, do it more often. So today I'm going to focus on the word perception. Now, there's a lot of things that feed into perception, usually a person's background, maybe new information that they got, whatever. But everybody perceives things differently. Where I'll say almost everybody perceives things differently. People from certain backgrounds, certain upbringings who've experienced certain things may perceive things a certain type of way versus other people. For instance, I'll start with one of the big things that's in news today, and that's Hurricane Florence. First of all, rest in peace to those lost during this horrible storm. I will say that. About 14 dead from what I last saw. Now, for me, as a Floridian, my perception of the shit was, hey, man, hurricanes come and go. You're going to be all right. Ride that shit out. Because where I'm from in Jacksonville, Florida, the hurricanes come, and they go, and there's no real damage. Now, for me, luckily, I wasn't at home for the last big storm that hit. But from what I saw, the damage wasn't crazy. It wasn't ridiculous. Like, it's the most damage I've seen there as far as downtown being flooded. But from the area I live in, it really wasn't much going on. I didn't see anybody over there. I saw flooding in one of the neighborhoods, but not like anything ridiculous. More than usual, but nothing I would say that was crazy. So the perception for me is, hey, if you can ride it out, ride it out. If you leave, you're probably going to be mad because you spent your money and you left and you came back for no damn reason. On the flip side of that, people in other areas, they experience the storm differently depending on the, your climate, your elevation in, re, in relation to the sea. You might be getting flooded. Like if you look at what happened with Katrina, that shit was a disaster. And even... um. The last big storm, I forgot the last big storm that hit somewhere. I can't remember where it's at, but it's supposed to have messed a lot of stuff up there too. So for for me, my my perception of the storm is different. For other people, their perception of the storm may be panic. Like, I got to get the hell out of here. And if that's, hey, if that's what you feel like you got to do, make sure you got your ducks in a row. Make sure you got all your valuables. If it's not anything you can take with you, make sure you lock it up. Keep it somewhere high in the household tape up the windows or block up the windows, however you got to do. Get the fuck out of Dodge and take your pets, man. Don't leave your pets to be stuck in no damn storm. If that's what you got to do, get your stuff together. Make sure you got homeowners or renters insurance and haul ass in a timely manner. Don't get out there on the road when it's like the last minute and there's a chance you may be stuck in the traffic during the storm. When they give you the go-ahead to evacuate, evacuate. Especially if it's mandatory. Now, this depends on where you live. 
obviously, in, in your experience with a storm. But some people perceive it that when other people don't evacuate from the storm, they're just being stupid. They're being stubborn and they're, and they're being idiotic. And don't get me wrong, there are some people like that who are like, I'm just going to ride this shit out. Just like if it's me in Jacksonville, Florida, I might just say, I'm going to ride it out. I ain't going nowhere. Depending on my situation, I might just chill. I might just hang out and see what's going to go on with the, um, with the storm because I feel like it's a waste of time. I'm just going to buy what I need, make sure I got some type of radio, flashlights, water, food, all the essentials. But that's because I've been through storms and I know how they work in our area. People who have not been through it, to me, that's not a good decision. Just because your level of experience with the situation ain't the same. If they saying it's going to hit and hit hard and you can leave, like I said, leave, even though some people can't. And that's, what I, that's the point I need to get back to when I'm talking about perception. Some people stay because they don't have a choice. They may not have a vehicle. Or if they have a vehicle, it may not be a trustworthy vehicle that they feel will make the trip wherever they got to go. Or they may not be able to take everyone and everything they need to take. So that may also hold them back from going. Because, I, I mean, I fully understand if you're like, hey, I got a sedan. And when we, we travel around for the most part, I can fit three or four in the car. But for some reason, there's five of us and I can't take all the people with me on this trip if I'm trying to evacuate. So it's all for one, one, for all. If we all can't go, then we all going to bunker down here and take care of what we got to take care of. I get it, I understand. But other people may not perceive it that way. But other people may not perceive it that way. They may perceive it as foolish of you to stay and risk everything. Because these people may have the resources to get low. Or these people may be in a situation or in a location to where the storm is not going to harm them. If you look at what happened with Katrina, those people were being called stupid. Oh, why didn't they leave? They're so dumb. They're dumb. Well, economically, those people couldn't afford to leave and or they didn't have anywhere to go. Some people's whole family live in that region. And Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm from, there's a lot of generations of families that hang out there that stay around. So if, yeah, my family can make it, but if I got aunties and grandmothers and my mother's there, do I really want to leave in case something happens to them? If we can't all go at the same time. Or maybe I have a place to go, but do I have the funds to get there? These are one some of the decisions people make when they stay back and they don't go places. For me, I just feel like you got to make a choice and then prepare for whatever choice you make. If you're going to make a choice to roll, roll out in a timely manner and make sure you have everything you need. If you're going to stay, make sure you got everything you need. Make sure your household is secure. Make sure you got all the food. And make sure you got something to protect yourself because I've heard stories about when shit went left in uh, Katrina and people started wilding the fuck out. That being said, perception. Make sure you perceive the situation in the proper way so that you don't do anything crazy and end up making your situation worse than what it actually is. Also, in a little bit of international news, there's also a typhoon that hit Mancoop. In the Philippines, I hope I said that right, but it, it's killing dozens in the Philippines right now. And they're going through the issues dealing with that. And I think it's headed up to China as well. I'm not 100% sure, but I did just look at that a few minutes ago. All right, um, keeping up with the news. Other international news. There's a Kenyan man who apparently destroyed the marathon world record in Berlin. 
Clap, clap for that, man. Me, as a person who's never going to run a marathon, I salute you. I salute anybody that does it. My perception of that is that it's unnecessary. I don't know why you need to train to an extreme that you should never have to face. I, I never understood wanting to run for the sake of running. But if that's your thing, cool. I perceive that as crazy. You may perceive me as lazy. I can live with that because a part of me is lazy when it comes to that. There's no way in hell I'm getting up and preparing to run that damn far. Because by the time you done ran a marathon, depending on how hard you train, you done probably ran it three or four times over just in preparation. And my knees can't take that, man. That's not that's not what I'm in it for, man. Give me some weights. Give me a bike, an elliptical, some, some air conditioning, and, and I'm going to chill, and I'm going to be happy with my little workout, man. But shout out to you and the other, um, the female who actually won the marathon there as well. She's also from Kenya. And a, and a quick splash of political news. I'm trying to get away from mentioning the same people every go around. But Ayanna Presley became the first African-American woman to represent Massachusetts on Capitol Hill. That is fantastic. Shout out to you for winning that primary. Um, perception when it comes to this for me is that black people in large aren't perceived to be that ingrained in politics and that's something i hope changes and then when some of us do venture out into that by some of their own they're perceived as sellouts which is which is crazy because of the way they may speak or the way they act they may dress and that's something i was trying to get at when i was talking about black conservatives a while back about how i feel like a lot of those guys and girls when they go on and they become successful which i'm happy they're successful and they get these platforms when they speak about African-American people, they tend to speak negatively. They speak in a way, like a separatist type of way, like I'm here, there, over there. And while I understand that they made it, they made it to where they made it, probably in spite of what their fellow black peers did to them, I don't think it's the right way to go about it. Only because instead of you having that um, frustration built up and that... um what appears to be anger to me in your voice and in your rhetoric and, and these interviews, when you sit with people who shit on us on Fox News, when you have that in your voice, I feel like you discourage people from fucking with other people like you. So let's just, I'll say, I'm going to throw Candace Owens out there as an example. Say she goes on Fox News and she's a conservative and she's over there speaking in, with, with fellow conservatives, most, I say majority white on Fox News. She gets asked a question by African-Americans and she replies and her answer may, it may dig a little bit at what is perceived as the majority African-Americans. So that in turn, if you're black and you decide, you know what, I'm going to give Fox News a chance and flip on to see what this sister has to say. When and if that happens, that only pushes you further away from people like that, that look like you. You don't want to follow that lead. And I don't even mean the lead of being a conservative, but just the lead of, you know, going after what you want, chasing your dreams, getting educated, and being involved in politics. Even if it's just as a political commentator, you're still developing that knowledge, that knowledge of what goes on in the country. But when you see somebody in that, that's in that spot speak negatively about you, why would you want to do it? Like, why would you want to be in that same light? And I'm not saying that they have to sugarcoat anything because sometimes to get to black people, you have to be raw. You have to be real. You have to you have to kind of say things that may be a little bit inflammatory 
but things that are going to get our attention. Like, if you think of uh, this guy like Tommy Sotomayor, who's big on YouTube. Tommy Sotomayor has a platform where he says things about black women that will piss a majority of black people off on a base level. The things he says, though, the videos he commentates on, it's happening. If he says it, there's a video to back it up. So it's not like he's pulling the shit out of his ass. He's actually saying what he's seeing in videos he's being sent by other black people. So on the surface, the perception is that he don't like black women. In reality, though, he's had relationships with black women. And there's a lot of black women that understand what he's saying. Because, yeah, he's saying, oh, I don't like weave and it's stupid. And you see these black women acting crazy. But on the flip side of that, he'll also say is that usually it's the women with natural hair and that that show quote-unquote self-love, these are the women that don't act in that manner. It's just that you have to get through that beginning part in order to get to what he's saying on a, on a deeper level. But the perception is that, hey, you're downing black people. So when I see somebody like Ayanna Presley and she's winning this seat, I feel like it's important to shout them out and big them up so that little black girls and boys can see that we have a a place in politics as Americans and as black people and that we can get there if we strive to do so. We just have to put these jobs on our radar so that they can become dream jobs for the younger the younger generation. So we can get out of that spot of just wanting to be fucking basketball players and just wanting to be actors and, and musicians because that's the cycle that messed us up. Like you've got guys with all the potential in the world that wanna that wanna rap. But instead of going to school to learn about music, like my like my bro did, what they do is they live the life, low income, sell dope, work a job, maybe work another job in the streets, and then they rap about that street life, not li not realizing how limiting that is. Because if you notice what's going on with the hip hop landscape, that dope boy shit is out of here. It, it, it's out of there. Like even the guys who still put who may put some of that that information in their music. They still make records and they still they can still sell a little bit, but that that shit's going away. That that stuff is going away. It's not the main focus of the record right now. The main focus of the record right now was the vibe, the party scene, as they call it. Even that perception is slowly going away. At this cool to be the dope boy, that's going away. I hate to be the dead horse, but now they're saying like the it's the drug addict that's actually, you know, the popular person in rap music. But I just wanted to dig, kind of dig into it just to, just to explain why this is so important, especially in Massachusetts where I don't really know much about. My perception of that area is all I know about, about Massachusetts is Boston. And from what I've been told, Boston is notoriously racist. So for me to hear that somebody won somewhere in the state, for me that's great. I feel like it's, it's great in that it should be celebrated by black people everywhere. Maybe somebody else will win a seat somewhere else. And we need to get some youth in there, man. Get different people in there. Get a chance to do something else, man. But I just had to big up Ayanna Presley for that because I think that's huge. Also, in a, a bit of confusing, I'll say semi-political news, more internet meme world shit, Pepe the Frog. And if you aren't familiar with Pepe the Frog, he was the little meme, the frog they use as the meme when you put up a funny meme, just this little frog or whatever, doing like the symbol like, okay. Apparently, 
Pepe the Frog had been adopted by the ultra-conservative alt-right and being used as a reference to hyper-conservative views or white power movement or whatever. I saw, I came across some video today on Facebook and I didn't realize that people were using that OK symbol with, you know, the three fingers being up as the W and then the P being the, you know, the, the thumb and the pointer finger and the rest of the hand being a symbol, symbol for white power. And so I think the Anti-Defamation League has made it an official hate symbol to have Pepe the Frog. When I looked at this, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, damn, these little motherfuckers slick. They real slick. Because I don't know how many times I've seen that meme or maybe even shared it myself, not even thinking about it. And the whole time, well, not the whole time, but part of the time, it was prob it was adopted, apparently, as some type of white power symbol. That's wild to me. And then they show, they, you know, of course, they did the video mashup showing all these people who lean who are, I guess, a part of the conservative movement doing the little okay symbol, people sitting in on meetings and in the court, whatever, just kind of having their, their hand doing it or whatever, or they showed um, the current president when he was talking doing that. Do I think that's what that is coming from him? I don't know. I doubt it. I just think that's how he does his hand when he talks. He does a lot of things I don't understand. But I just thought that that was um, surprising and not surprising at the same time. Because my perception of it at first was like, it's just a meme. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But after learning what it had been utilized as and seeing the people in the video holding up this Pepe the Flag sign, I mean, this big-ass flag with Pepe the Flag on, with Pepe the Frog on the flag, it makes me realize, apparently, I was fucking wrong. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And that is now the... Um, the use of that symbol and when i saw that video I, I immediately realized like damn i don't see that shit no more i never see pepe the damn frog in the meme nowhere and i'm guessing that is exactly why that is exactly the fuck why so rest in peace pepe the frog you will no longer be used coming from uh your boy blackout over here man not at all fast forward into sports real quick canelo beat triple g I didn't see that coming. I'm a bigger Triple G fan than Canelo. I think Canelo's um, awesome, though. Great fighter. I thought Triple G was going to pull this out second go-around. Apparently, Canelo did his homework, and he beat him. That's pretty much it. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't watch. Uh, I think there's a UFC fight. I didn't watch that either because I'm not the, the big UFC guy. It just doesn't grab my attention like that. But, yeah, man, uh, Canelo won. That's really all I got for that. That's it. I'm going to dip into music real quick. But first, apparently the Browns kicker blew, <laughs> blew the game today. And I've been uh, watching Hard Knocks on and off, so I'm kind of rooting for the Browns. Like it's, it's to the point where I'm rooting for other people in that division to lose so that they can come up in a division. And uh, thankfully, Pittsburgh did that today, but it don't really matter because the Browns now have a loss and a tie on their record, which is going to kind of screw them later unless they rack up a few wins. But, yeah, the Browns kicker blew the game today. They had been leading the, the Saints most of the game from what I could see. And then he just missed that kick at the end. They came back and scored. So, yeah, sad news. Also, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The perception there may be that they don't need Jameis Winston because Ryan Fitzpatrick has been balling the fuck out in the last couple of games. 
they blew somebody else out a while ago, and then they managed to hold off the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles today. We're going to see what happens. Those are two interesting franchises as a quarterback position because you have Nick Foles who ended up being the Super Bowl MVP when Carson Wentz got hurt, and then you have Tampa Bay who uh, had to, you know, sit Jameis because some bullshit he did in the offseason. So he suspended the first three or four games. It's going to be a weird spot when they have to when they go to transition that quarterback position back over. They're saying Wentz may be able to go next week, but I don't know what they're going to do I mean, if, if Foles is playing. Well, I didn't see the game today, so I don't know what happened, but we're we going to find out. And with Tampa Bay, I don't know. If this is playing well, do you pull him? Do you, do you really pull him? Like, I, I got to go back and look at who they played. But the Philadelphia Eagles defense ain't no joke. And for him to put them numbers up, I'm perceiving put numbers up, that ain't no, uh, that's, that's no small feat. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with uh, Jameis Winston. But only time will tell. Now, getting into music, I got tagged repeatedly in Facebook about this damn Eminem song. This kill shot response he did back to Machine Gun Kelly that we finally got, that we waited all this time for. Along with the interview he did uh, with uh, Sway, the interview was okay. It was eh. It was a. Uh, it wasn't that. It was cool because you know Sway is Sway, and he can he can pull information out of people, especially people he's been uh, in the industry with for a while now. And you know Eminem's gonna talk this way for the most part. The fact that it was on Eminem's channel, done by somebody who was in house with him, I didn't like it. I'd rather see Eminem go to the Breakfast Club and be able to challenge Charlemagne face to face and get the interview off like that. But I understand him wanting to benefit his own um, radio situation. But I still feel like he could have invited somebody outside. He could have invited Charlemagne on there. Or maybe he could have invited Joe Button to do an interview like that. So they could have talked about it on air, then got the video footage, and maybe could have aired out whatever they had going on on tape and then put that shit on the internet. That shit would have got a, a gang of streams. It'd be better than the songs. Because I stand by what I said last go-round. The Joe Button podcast section, the hour or so he'd get on the Eminem Slaughterhouse situation, was better than Eminem's whole album. I stand by that. I, st I really stand by that. Because I think Eminem only proved my point when he came out with this diss song against Machine Gun Kelly. It was okay. It was cool. It was lyrical. It was very lyrical. That's what Eminem does. I'm never going to knock him lyrically. But for the type of diss song you would expect for somebody who apparently violated when it had something to do with your daughter, I'm expecting you to be all in. I'm expecting this to be in. You named the song Kill Shot. I'm expecting blood to be in the streets. This song was not that. It was lyrical. Yes. But talking about a man bun and he's a molehill, you're going to make a mountain out of him to me? Come on, man. Eminem is better than that. Maybe. And when I say maybe, I'm going to bring up the point that everybody else brings that he's never had to battle anybody like on wax for real, for real before that's going to come give him that heat. MGK surprised a lot of people when he came out for him. That's probably the most competition Eminem has ever had on wax. This ain't the stage battle where you can say the funny line and everybody laugh and it helps get you over the other guy. This battle's on wax. And that's why Buttons 
That's why Joe Button is like, yeah, this ain't me rapping against Hollow the Don, where Hollow the Don knows how to say things that's gonna make the crowd pop because he's in his his comfort zone. He can make the crowd go off over some little funny corny shit he says. Joe Button is the guy that's gonna get you on wax. As you can see, I've never heard a song from Hollow the Don. I don't know anybody who has. No disrespect to that man. What Joe was saying is that on wax, Eminem can't fuck with him. And I believe him because even when he was dissing Benzino, he was padded. There was things around him. Shit like 50 Cent was going on. He was on the songs too. And 50 Cent brings a certain energy to a disc record that Eminem don't have. Because 50 will never be lyrically better than uh, Eminem. Never, ever a day in his life. But when it comes to making the diss track, I'm taking 50 all day long because he's going to be petty enough to give you some lyrics, but the energy on the song is going to be different. It's going to be hard. And if you talk about somebody's daughter and they come back with a song to diss you and naming the song Kill Shot, I'm expecting it to be hard. It don't have to be super complicated. It has to be hard. That's why people love Ether. Even though I thought Ether was below Nas's level, he used simple words that everybody can identify with. He didn't do the complex Nas thing that he normally does. And I think that's why a lot of people love that song. Especially everybody who doesn't like Jay-Z. Now Jay-Z did TakeOver. His was simplistic, but the thing Jay-Z did when he made TakeOver, which I think is the better record, is everything he said in there was factual. He talked about Nas modeling. He talked about the Uchiwali situation. He talked about things that actually happened. Nas just was insult, and it was like, it's funny, but does it really hold weight when you did model for Carl Canal like a chump? Just saying, my personal opinion. But Eminem, I feel like you got to come harder than that. Like, lyrically, we always know it's going to be there. It's like Ray Allen's jump shot. That shit ain't going nowhere no time soon. When you're talking about a battle, we need that energy. We need the energy to be there. Like, that's why Drake can make songs like back-to-back, -back and that energy is going to be there. You could play that shit in the club. You can make it a single. And that's, that's what Eminem was lacking, point-blank, period. I'm not saying that he won the battle. I'm not saying MGK lost. I'm saying it's it's eh, like the album. Eh. If he'd have put The Ringer, the song with Royster 5'9, the song with Jordan Lucas, and the song of one one of the songs with that girl singing, and Kill Shot all in one all as an EP, that shit would have been fire. But he didn't do that. He wasted our time with the whole album. Anyway, moving on. My perception of that, by the way, is that. Everybody else perceived it as going to be it's going to be some type of super fantastic annihilation of Machine Gun Kelly, and my perception of it was that it was more of the same. It's like it's cool, but it's not. You're not getting over the hill. You got on top of the hill, but you're not getting over the hump with that. Sorry for all of my Eminem stand fans out there. Moving on real quick though, I want to talk about this new show I started watching, The Minds. Now, at first, my perception of this is that it would be just a, a Sons of Anarchy spinoff because it's, it's based on the motorcycle club, the Mayans, that are in uh, Southern California. But I was made wrong immediately by watching the first episode. Now I perceive the show as something the same but different. The, uh, the main character is in a different position as far as it relates to the club than Jax was when he in the Sons of Anarchy. So it's just, it's 
similar, but it's different. And now keep in mind, I've only watched the one episode, but what, but from what I've seen, I really liked it so far. And I plan on sticking with this and watching the show. So my Tuesday nights may be all fucked up. I may not be doing nothing but fighting to watch the show. Or I may record it like my wife does and then watch it during the day where I can just get blow through all the, you know, the commercials and condense my time, which seems like a more likely option because I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay awake because your boy getting old. But if you haven't checked it out, watch it. It's similar, but it's different. They do, you know, do a couple of cameos in there and uh, they'll show you a couple people. And the Sons of Anarchy do make an appearance, but it's not the same chapter as was up north. But once you see that first episode, you'll see it's loaded with a lot of different, a lot of different things. You can kind of see where the story's headed, but you can always guarantee there's going to be twists and turns on the way. Because the same guy with his sons is actually doing this, Kurt Stutter. So you know it's going to be dope. Or at least that's the perception. I don't know what's going on with The Purge yet. But I will check in with that as soon as I can. I keep recording episodes, but I ain't watched the shit yet. I hope it's good as people are talking about, but I'll let y'all know. The last thing I want to talk about is uh, also perception related. But it's it's everybody's normal, right? My family has been watching, not me, but my wife and my daughter have recently, recently been watching the show I Was Prey. And... While I can usually get into these shows, there's one issue that, that turns me off from this show when I'm watching it. And it's not because people get mauled by animals. Like, hey, man, you're going to bear. I mean, you're going to woods. There's going to be bears, depending on where you live. You just got to deal with that shit. But it's when people say they would immediately, after they heal, they feel like they got to go back to that same situation. And I just wonder... If the people that go through, they go through life and they they go on these nature hikes or they go surfing or whatever and they get attacked by these animals and feel like they got to go back. I wonder how these people feel about bad neighborhoods or neighborhoods perceived as bad and or dangerous or what they would say if they ever just happened to be close to a ghetto. Do they lock the doors, hide all the valuables and shit? You know, you, they drive, they got to pass through that neighborhood, they make sure all the all the doors locked, the windows up. I just think about that shit because everybody has their, their comfort zone. And for me, if you ask me, hey, you either got to walk three miles in a fucked up neighborhood where there's violence or you got to walk three miles in the woods where there's known mountain lions, bears, whatever, I'm, I'm taking my ass right down that block where I know it's dangerous at just because for me, that is my normal. That's my normal. I'd rather risk getting robbed at gunpoint than to risk walking through the goddamn forest where I know there's bears and pumas and all that shit at. I'm not doing that. That ain't for me. And when I took this, when I made this a note initially, it was kind of just, it was kind of just poking fun at people who do that, who go get attacked by bears and be like, oh, I don't, I don't, I feel, I don't feel anything for the bear. I want the bear to be the bear. The bear was in its territory doing its thing. It's at home. That's what it's supposed to do. But I'm going to get right back in those woods and go back hiking. I was kind of poking fun at them like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. But then on the flip side of that, I've been in bad neighborhoods before. Spent quite a few, quite a bit of time in, in bad neighborhoods in my lifetime. And neighborhoods perceived as dangerous by other people. And I always go right on back. 
I always go right back. Because, that, I mean, it's my normal. It's my normal right now. And I I got away from that a few years ago. Like, oh, yeah, I go back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I told the story before. Like, I, I go home and there's a bunch of homies there. And I said, man, I got my gun with me. I ain't been home for a while. I don't know what's going on. I don't have no problems, but I don't want none. I take my gun out, sitting on the counter. Everybody's cool. I got away from that environment and realized I don't want to be in a situation where that's comfortable. Where it's, it's just a bunch of dudes in the house who ain't got nothing going on at the time. Baby mama's in the back room talking. No, I'd rather be with my homie who just bought his home. His his wife and my wife are hanging out and the kids got some more to kick it and chill all in the same room. I ain't got to worry about nobody kicking in the damn door because somebody's selling weed out of the crib. And I ain't shitting on nobody. It's just that I've gotten to that point in life where, to me, that shit ain't exciting no more. And I wasn't even really in the life like that. I just happened to know people. I just happened to be in those spots. And I didn't know, like, no big-time drug dealer, no shit like that. Nothing like that. I'm just saying I've been in places that aren't the most desirable by my standards. Now, but would I go back to a bad neighborhood if, if I know I can get a I think of crabs out there for, for a decent price, and I know the crab's going to be fine. You damn right I'm going back. But that's just perception. Like, what I perceive as wilderness to me, like, my wilderness is my comfort zone. Like, if it's the, the gritty city, the shitty parts of the city, whatever, and the wilderness that they perceive is, you know, out in the woods or whatever, that's their woods, that's their jungle, it just be like that for, you know, different strokes for different folks. Or even if you flip-flop it. Like, they may see the woods and shit as peace. Like, oh, I'm out in nature. It's peaceful out here. And then the blocks that I would go to to go get some crabs or go get some shoes or go do whatever, they may pe they may perceive that as, that's, that's the wilderness. That's the wildlife out there. Shit out here is crazy. I don't feel comfortable and I don't understand. And then, you know, vice versa. For me, the bad neighborhood... That's cool. That's nature. The city blocks, having to catch the city bus downtown at the bus station where it's all fucked up at. You know, people down there on drugs, people homeless and shit. To me, that's normal. Put me in the woods, I'm scared. Shaking my goddamn boots. Exposure and different backgrounds and that's it. People's perception lead them to different to uh, different um, conclusions. They draw different conclusions based off of what they know and what their comfort zone is. And here we are. We're at the end. Y'all can catch me every Monday morning, man. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Stitcher, YouTube, all that. Tune in. I'm trying to get the LinkedIn thing to work. I got the Facebook page, No Playing This Right. I got the YouTube, No Playing This Right. Hit me up. Email, No Playing This Right at gmail.com. Hit me on Twitter. No play 247, capital N, lowercase o, capital P, L A Y. I'm liking doing this for a shorter amount of time. And right before I leave, Willie Taggart, one more time, I hope, go get my belt. You need your ass whooped. And this is coming off me being pissed off about the Sanford game, the Virginia Tech game, and lately the fucking Syracuse game. Now, I have learned some things about Florida State football that I didn't know previously 
before the last podcast. I actually had to listen to another podcast called The Knollcast to find these things out. And the reason why I'm still saying go get my belt is because you got to adjust. I don't give a damn what the situation is. You have to adjust. Now, according to the Knollcast, Florida State right now has no goddamn tackles. And I looked at the tackles during the game during slow motion and realized these tackles look big as shit. And that's because they're not tackles, they're guards. They're interior linemen. They're not going to be as light on their feet or as quick as normal tackles. So, of course, they're getting beat on the edge by, by the edge rusher. Defensive end aren't like defensive tackles. They're, they're smaller, they're quicker, they're more agile. They can, they're meant to dip their shoulder and get around to the QB. So when I'm looking at it, everything makes sense of why the offensive line is fucking failing. They got a bunch of new guys in there that are playing out of position. The reason why I'm still saying that Willie Taggart got to get this goddamn belt is is because he has not adjusted the game plan to what he has. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves with coaches is don't wait until you quote-unquote get in the get in the guys that you want to, that you need to get in and run your system. Adjust the system for right now. Adjust it for right now so that you don't waste the talent that you have. Because who's to say that with these losing streak we're about to go on, that you don't detract from recruits who want to come play for you, but don't feel like you got it together enough to help them get to the next level. So if you don't have the guys to maintain the block on the edge so you can run your old throw it behind the line of scrimmage offense, why not put more guys back there with the quarterback to help with the pass rush? Why not? Hey, you know what? This shit ain't working. Let's line this shit up and play bully ball. You got two badass running backs. Let's run these motherfuckers up the middle. You got Jaquez Patrick. Let him run between the tackles. Let him wear the other defense down instead of continually going three and out, running the same dumbass plays from your playbook, and letting our defense get worn down because the defense is doing their job. I am of the opinion that if Florida State defense had enough time to rest during games, that the other offense would not be as effective. And this week we saw real tempo being ran by a team that's coached well enough and has the right players to do it. So instead of installing this whole offense without having the proper players to do it, why not run a scheme that has elements of different offenses in it until you get everybody you need to run yours. It's like you just did away with that. I don't even think we have a goal line set. They lined up the score. They still were like in the damn shotgun. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't know. I just, um, it just, it makes me mad. I perceive it as you not doing your goddamn job. And I want my perception to not be reality, but you need to get that damn belt. You and your coaching staff need your ass whooped for that. And some of them dumbass mistakes on defense. Get the players disciplined and make sure they don't do dumbass mistakes like they did in that Syracuse game. But anyway, every Monday, man, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, I'm damn near everywhere. Hit me up, noplayinthisride at gmail.com. Noplay247 on Twitter, capital N, lowercase O, 
capital P-L-A-Y. Hit me up, rate and review. Please rate, review, subscribe. It'll help me bring more listeners to this podcast because these numbers, boy, these numbers are not where I want them to be. But you know me, I'm going to keep on doing the damn thing. So make your next day your best day. Learn something tomorrow you didn't learn today. And just be better, man. Y'all know what to do. Have fun out there. Peace.